Hello, everyone. This is Mike Epstein, and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. Today's episode is different from previous episodes, so listen up. Today we're featuring an organization that is changing the way people approach marketing. There are going to be many good strategies and tips we can all learn from and use here, so please share this episode with your marketing director or anyone else that's involved with marketing at your organization. Before I talk about who the organization is, I want to frame the problem that we plan to address in this episode. I constantly hear presenters and artists tell me some of their greatest challenges revolve around trying to increase audience turnout and ticket sales or increase the number of subscribers for a series or how to better reach a younger audience or some form of one of these problems. One of the primary reasons why everyone struggles with all this is because they've yet to successfully adapt their marketing with how people actually get their information and content now. Consider the artist who decades ago relied on print media or radio for exposure, or the organization that could take out a single newspaper ad for an upcoming show and more or less sell out 75 to 80% of their house. As we all know, those strategies are totally obsolete now. Instead, most marketing is digital, and it must reach people via their mobile platforms, email, social media, or other content-driven outlets such as blogs, podcasts, YouTube, etc. So one of the leading companies in digital marketing right now is called HubSpot, and they are empowering thousands of companies who struggle with these very same issues. In their own words, HubSpot is an inbound marketing software platform that helps companies attract visitors, convert leads, and close customers. The software helps more than 15,000 companies in more than 85 countries attract leads and convert them into customers. A pioneer in inbound marketing, HubSpot aims to help its customers make marketing that people actually love. Here to talk about all this is Megan Anderson. Megan is currently the Vice President of Marketing for HubSpot, where she leads the content, product marketing, and customer marketing strategy for the organization. I first learned about Megan when I came across her recent presentation at the Digital Marketing Boot Camp for the Arts Conference. I was blown away by the content and insights she provided. Fortunately for us, Megan was more than kind enough to agree to today's interview, and we're very lucky to have her on. Together with her teams, Megan is responsible for HubSpot's blogs, podcasts, and overall content strategy, as well as the company's product launch and customer demand campaigns. Megan, what an honor to have you on today. Thank you so much for being here. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me, Mike. You bet. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, one of the common challenges for people in the arts is how to attract and grow their audience. This is absolutely no different than how any company, regardless of what industry they're in, needs to attract and grow their customer base. So I'm really excited to have you talk about the various ways in which HubSpot can help people do this. Um, to get us started, why don't we just really hone in on the basics? What exactly is inbound marketing and why is it so important? Yeah, so inbound marketing is really rooted in a, a shift that happened in the way that people research and make purchases. Uh, I think back when the founders began HubSpot and back when inbound marketing first started to become a thing, they made an important observation, and that was that Honestly, the traditional playbook for marketing was really broken. Uh, when you think about the technology that had arisen at that time, um, you know, we had things like 
TiVo and Netflix and the ability to skip over TV commercials, uh, ad blockers first started to appear, and people really started to be able to filter out content that they didn't want to see, namely advertisements, and focus in on content that they did want to see. Uh, and so behavior shifted with the technology. Uh, and so um, what we realized, or what the founders really realized was, you know, all of these outbound methods, ads, direct calls, uh, billboards, uh, those don't work as well as they used to work. They still work, but they just don't work as well as they used to work. And what they discovered was that by sort of setting aside those outbound messages, so thing, things that you're targeting at your customers, that you're buying space to try to um, to get them to, to make a purchase, those really were outdated, and what started to make more sense was what we called inbound techniques. And inbound techniques are really, let's build something of value, um, create relevant search-friendly content that people will actually enjoy, and people will come to you through things like search and social. And so reverse this method of just broadcasting out your ads into really creating a magnet and building almost like a media site um, that will pull people in. And so the reality of how that works for us today is, you know, we've we've built out, we spend very, very little on advertising. We spend a, a tiny amount on on search ads. The rest of our effort as a company is all spent on things like blogs and podcasts and ebooks and um, experiential content. And as a result, 80% of our leads in a given month are coming from content, which is something we've created basically for free. Uh, so there's been a real shift there in, in sort of the strategy that you can use to, to bring people into your uh, organization or your business. That is a great description of how that whole process works. And as I'm listening to you describe it, I can't help but think how perfect anybody who's in the arts, um, regardless of what they're doing, can benefit from HubSpot because the arts is entirely content driven. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, by nature, that's what it is. So it's just, it's a, you know, there's no industry, I you know, in the last yeah. 20 years that hasn't been disrupted by the internet and the d digitization of everything. And it's just amazing how I really feel like we're all kind of playing catch up to the way people learn about things. So um, what I'm hearing is that you guys, you guys are really content machines. I mean, you guys are just kind of own it, owning that medium and how to use content to reach everybody. Um, so a couple of things that I want to have you talk about, and I should mention to everybody listening that um, I'm going to post a copy of your presentation from the Digital Arts Bootcamp on the episode notes of speakingoftheearts.com so people can reference it. So a few things to kind of pick apart from there. Um, and let's just dive in right with content. One of the things I read that is great is you say every piece of content is an opportunity to get found. What, what does that mean exactly? And can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So, um, so you think about the way that you look for anything from a good restaurant in your neighborhood to uh, software that you want to buy for your company. That search really starts at Google. It starts at the search box. And um, the fastest lesson I can give you in search engine optimization is it really comes down to two things, right? 
relevancy and authority. Relevancy is how closely does your content match up to what the person is looking for in that search engine box. Authority comes down to how many other sites and people are linking back to that piece of content that you've created. And so as you create a piece of content, whether it's, let's say it's a blog post, that content can get found by relevancy, so it can be really, really close to something that somebody's searching for, or it can be get found because it, it's a really good post and it gets shared a lot and other sites link back to it and the authority of that post grows. But the bottom line is that piece of content is going to live forever um, or as long as the Internet exists, which I hope is forever. Uh, and so every single day people are searching for things and every single day that content will be bringing in more and more people into your site. And that never goes away, unlike ads, unlike billboards. Right. If it's on the Internet, it, it's there in perpetuity. <laughs> right. <laughs> For better right. or worse. I mean, there are some <laughs> some bad reasons behind that, but uh, largely it really helps to, to drive traffic to your site. Yes. Okay, so that's great. Relevancy and authority. So I've got all this great content that I'm producing and, and uh, posting. What, what are sort of the next steps? So how would I start to think about um, – locking people or, you know, attracting people to my site and getting them to do things. In, yeah. in this case, I want to have you talk a little bit about con, uh, the, the concept of conversion, conversion okay. rates, and what all that means and really how anybody listening, just the basics, how they can properly manage all of that. Yeah. So um, content, the purpose that it serves is really to pull people into your site. So you um, write a bunch of articles on um, the the acts in your show or you create a bunch of content that's designed to pull in your your perfect audience member um, and and all that is about is just getting people in the front door right get get people to your site get them engaged with your blog and going to you for entertainment or for information and that's great website traffic is awesome um, but it's almost not enough because remember we're still a business and we're trying to get someone to a ticket purchase or um, to a membership and so once you've created that magnet of content that's pulling people into your site you also have to think about like okay once they're at my site how do I get them to convert into either a, a a customer or a prospective customer. And so a conversion is really a hand raise. It's a it's a moment on your site when someone says, not only am I interested in consuming this content, but yes, I also want to buy tickets or I also want to buy a membership. And so uh, it can be something as simple as, you know, getting someone's email on your website, so an email form, um, or something as complex as um, an actual purchase of the of the product or show, and so. Um, but what we really mean is, despite the the variance in um, in the conversion, the the main thing here is get the website visitor to raise their hand and say, "I want to know more." And so um, we we manage that through uh, simple forms on our site. Awesome. So. Uh, HubSpot, it seems, is obviously the sort of quintessential platform for um, having people manage and implement a lot of these actions. Sure. And, you know, I appreciate that you're taking the time to kind of walk everybody through, uh, I would say, <laughs> digital marketing 101 in a, in a more sort of broader or I guess the word I'm looking for is more direct 
approach to tie it all together. How does HubSpot think about that in terms of a sales funnel? And, and again, I'm referencing yeah. a slide that you did. It's just a great image of this top-down approach to all this content kind of filtering yeah. through and then putting in um, measurable steps to increase conversion rates. So what are some of the ways that the platform helps people do that? Yeah, so we think about the um, – we think about – content as if you think about a funnel right so every time you bring someone into your site you're going to convert some portion of those people and some people are going to fall off right so the more people that you bring in at the top of the funnel the more people actually make their way all the way down to a point of purchase and so we think about content as being a top of the funnel play so that's things like blogging and your website pages and social media and seo uh, all of these things that are designed to attract strangers to your website for the first time. Then we think about conversion as the middle of the funnel. So once those strangers are on your website, how do we turn them into not strangers at all? How do you get an email address out of them so you have permission to continue the relationship? Uh, and so that first conversion of like, hey, I'm going to sign up for your email newsletter is the middle of the funnel. And then the bottom of the funnel is really a purchase. Um, and the reason why we think about it in terms of these stages is the mindset of somebody who is uh, on your site is very different at each one of these stages, right? So at the top of the funnel, they're really in just sort of an exploratory mode. And if you try to sell them tickets, or you try to sell them a membership at that point, they're not going to be interested. Uh, in fact, they'll be turned away. And so at the top of the funnel, you want to keep things focused on entertainment and information and really be light on the sale. Once somebody converts and they raise their hand and they give you an email address, then you can start to slowly introduce things like memberships and ticket sales and um, other purchases. Uh, but you want to sort of understand that at that point they they know that you are trying to sell them something and they've raised their hand to be part of that. And then at the bottom of the funnel, it's it's really more your traditional marketing of um, giving them information about pricing and uh, really getting to them to that point of the sale. That's such a great description of everything. And I think anybody listening, myself included, would benefit to do sort of a website marketing audit and really ask themselves totally. of everything that you're talking about. I mean, how much how much is my website set up to do that? Do I have a email subscribed form? Are, are my other outlets, my blogs or everything, are they really directing the traffic in? And then where are the conversion points? So basic stuff, but you, you can tell me, I would imagine 90% of websites out there don't even do any of that. Yeah, and we're still looking at that stuff all the time, too. Like, we've been doing this for a very long time and have had great success with it, but we're still reevaluating, like, do we have the right content at the top of the funnel that and you know how where is our problem is our problem that we're not getting enough visitors to the website or is our problem that we're getting lots of visitors but not enough of those visitors are actually filling out a form and trying to get um, into a closer relationship with us and so each of those problems has a distinct solution and so we're always figuring out how to optimize one or the other um, based on our numbers definitely and I want to get to, I want to get to that in a little bit the idea of how you can start to measure, you know, where the numbers are and where you want them to be. Um, but before we talk about that, I want to shift just a, for a second. And, again, I'm going to take some information from one of your slides because this relates directly to everybody listening. So there was a statistic that 90% of arts organizations reported email collection 
was extremely important to their organizations. And that is absolutely true of my own company as well. Maybe we can talk about email for just a second. What are some of the steps people can take to better capture email? We mentioned sign-up forms. What are some other things people could think about? Yeah, and I think like the the reason to capture email is uh, it's more than just a vanity metric. I think the reason you want to get emails is not for the sake of being able to email 100,000 people. It's because those are people who are part of your inner circle. I mean, it's your true audience. And so when you're thinking about an arts organization, for example, you know, it's you don't just want someone to come to one show. You want someone to make a lifestyle out of coming to shows again and again. And so the email address is really sort of your your ticket to a longer relationship with that person. And um, it allows you also to start to understand them better, what emails worked, what shows they went to, what their interests are. And then after you have that, you can start to personalize your content to them um, in a much stronger way, which ultimately deepens their relationship. So there's you know, I think that sometimes as marketers, we lose sight of, you know, we just think like, just get the email address at any cost, you know, and we do stupid things like buying lists and, um, you know, tricking people into giving us their email. And it's really not about that. It's about permission-based marketing, getting people so excited that they want to give you their email address and they get value out of what you send them. Uh, but that's not an answer to your question. So to answer your question, uh, there are all sorts of different tools out there that you can use to capture email addresses. Um, everything from, you know, simple rollout forms that you can put on your site that are free. Um, I know a lot of organizations use uh, WordPress or other CMSs out there. Certainly there are plugins that will help you um, to capture email addresses. And then you could go all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is a full sort of uh, marketing software system. So not only the ability to capture email, but the ability to kind of track and store information about each prospect of yours. So um, a contact database to understand what pages they're viewing and what um, what content matters to them. And that's more on the end of, of a HubSpot. Got it. Oh, that's really great. Um, okay, so we're talking about email sign-up forms as one step. Obviously, HubSpot is a lot more robust. Just while we're on the subject of emails, one thing that I think a lot of people struggle with, myself included, is constantly trying to figure out, I've got all these email addresses now, now I'm going to do an email blast, yeah. and, the, you know, and what is the subject line? Because I always think of the subject line, the only point of the subject line um, is to get someone to open the email. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like if I get an email that is from someone I don't know, then my eyes go to the subject line and you know, we're, all of us are totally, we have a filter now, so within half a second, it's either, okay, I'll click this because I'm interested or I'm not, and people can certainly test email subject lines. What are some of the more common mistakes people make when they're creating these emails but then neglecting the subject line? Yeah. So, the, I mean, the more people you get to open your email, which is what the subject line does, the more people potentially will click through on the content of that email, which is the more people that will come back to your site, which is the more people that could potentially uh, read your content, potentially buy. And so that subject, it all kind of rolls back up to that subject line and the sender. And it is immensely important um, when it comes to email marketing strategy. I mean, you, you almost want to spend 70% of your time on that subject line and then the rest on the content and the email. Um, I think that, you know, the 
the rule of would my mom open this is always a good one. I think that, you know, we as marketers, again, we kind of lose our way. We we sit in the office and we come up with what we think is, uh, you know, an email campaign and we, we throw a subject line on it and we send it out and then we get home or we go to our personal email and we open up our inbox and we think the same message from another company is junk mail, right? So we're sort of talking out of two sides of our mouth here. So the, the the bottom line is, you know, I think a mistake that people make in subject lines is being too salesy right off the bat. You want to be intriguing. You want to be a journalist, basically. You want to write the sort of subject line that you think will capture someone's imagination and, and get them into the email. Um, there are some companies that are really, really astoundingly good at this. Personalization never hurts either. Um, so if you can use your email platform to include someone's name in the email, we've seen higher open rates with that. Um, humor, certainly in the right setting helps. Uh, questions are very good for email subject lines. And really just, if your content is good, the subject line will be good. Um, and I know you were, you and I were talking before and you had a great example from the Boston Public Library about a subject line that, uh, that really captured your attention. Yes, absolutely, um, and I'm glad you brought that up. So, right, I got an email the other day from the Boston Public Library, and it did absolutely cause me to stop what I was doing. The subject line was Top Ten Borrowed Books and Winter Happenings at the Boston Public Library. I love the Boston Pu Public Library. I don't go that often. I quit, I opened the email simply because I was curious if I had read, it, read any of those books. Yeah. And one thing that I try and do is save um, – uh, unsolicited emails that I open in a, in a special folder and kind of collect, you know, like it's almost like thinking of it as a scrapbook, I suppose, in terms of what, what about this caused me to open it? Yeah. Because to your point, like some organizations do do it really well, so why not learn from them? And this is just a good example of uh, a case like that. So I think it's – and I also like what you said, um, Would my what was it, would my mom be interested in this? Right. <laughs> That's something good to keep in mind, too. So yeah. those are some really great, great points there. Um, yeah, if, if they had yeah. just said Winter Happenings at the Boston Public Library, you probably wouldn't have opened it, but that 10 exactly. volume book is, uh, is the hook. That's the hook. That's it, exactly. Well, okay, well, that's some really great advice there. So let's just kind of jump back to content for a second, and, and I want to go a little bit deeper. In one of the slides in the presentation, you addressed the concern that people have they get overwhelmed and they don't really know what type of content to create. So yeah. here the slides the slide reads, here's a secret. No one in the arts industry needs to worry about that. And from there you give a great series of examples of successful content that other arts organizations cre are creating. So just in a general sense, what is and it doesn't have to be specific to the arts, but what are I mean what are some of the common characteristics of good content as opposed to bad content? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think it's amazing the opportunity that the arts industry has when it comes to content marketing and inbound marketing. I sell software. I, I literally sell zeros and ones, and there's nothing interesting about that um, on its own merits. It's so that we basically create the interesting content around that. But the nice thing about the arts is the content is your product. I mean, um, I the examples that I gave were things like, the Oklahoma City Ballet has an amazing Instagram account. Um, I think that the um, Al Woolly Mammoth Theater, Alvin Eiley uh, Dance uh, 
crew has all has like really phenomenal content. And when I look at what they do, there's a couple of things that stand out to me. One is uh, behind the scenes. So uh, the Oklahoma City Ballet, one of the things they do really nicely on their Instagram account is they show you backstage. They show you the costumes and they show you the things that you wouldn't otherwise get from just going to a show. Uh, and that's the sort of stuff that has an exclusivity feel to it that nobody else can give you. Um, I think that um, in addition to behind the scenes, jumping on to larger trends that are happening in content. So same deal, Oklahoma City Ballet um, got took part in a World Ballet Day and on Twitter used the hashtag World Ballet Day. And as a result, because their content was getting collected with that World Ballet Day hashtag, their follower numbers just uh, through uh, increased dramatically. And so um, I think making sure that you're aware of the larger world and what's going on in it and, and commenting when you can, when it's relevant, uh, and getting getting your audience involved is another good trick. Um, and I think beyond that, it's, you know, the anything can be content. Like the uh, Jazz at Lincoln Center, they do a collection of classes. They're online videos where you can learn um, about jazz. You can sort of learn techniques. And that's not a blog post and not an Instagram post or a Twitter um, post, but what it is is really substantial, useful information and that serves the audience, that serves the, the prospective uh, attendee. And so um, if you think from the mindset of what's going to interest the audience, you'll see themes that start to emerge and, um, and you'll see content that will do well. These are such great examples. And one thing that I think about, I'd love to have you take on this too, is the idea that Think about what it is you're actually not selling and give it all away as oh, content that then kind of going back to that sales funnel idea spurs people to actually buy what it is that you're selling. So to your point about you guys are selling software, you guys get really creative in all of the different content and educational materials and everything that will in turn um, teach people more about what it is you guys do. And it's, no different than the arts. And, I, and to your point, the arts industry certainly has no, there's no lack of content. It's yeah. what is it that I can give away that I'll get, if I'm an artist, that'll get someone interested in my music. If I'm putting on a series, what is it that I can give away that will get someone interested in the series and buy a ticket? So there's really no limit there in terms of the amount of creativity. And I think those are some really great examples. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, because this is something that I had never thought about, and you touched on it a little bit earlier, but all this great content is out there. How does all of my old content relate to sort of my ongoing efforts for generating traffic? How, how should I think about that? Yeah, so um, so here's the fascinating thing about content and, and why it's very different than placing an ad. So if you place an ad in a magazine for a show, you are basically renting that magazine's audience. So they, they'll they see the ad and some of them will get get interested and they'll click through or they'll go to your site and that's great. But the second you stop paying for that ad, the second that ad goes away, the access to that audience goes away too. If you, on the other hand, build your own audience and build your own content, again, that content lives forever. And what's nice about that is content has a compounding nature to it. So we always talk about like, 
you know, if you start saving for retirement today, that retirement savings will compound over time. Content acts in very much the same way. So to give you an example from my own world, uh, we get, uh, so I said before, 80% of our, of our leads, the people who are prospective customers of ours, come from content. Um, 70% of our traffic to our website in a given month comes from content that was created well before that month. So things that were created six months ago still deliver traffic to our website every single month. Now, here's what's cool about that. It means that heading into January, I already have 70% of the traffic that I'm going to want to get in January. I'm already, I have this huge head start, and so all I have to worry about is the remaining 30% of the traffic that I want to get. Uh, and so it just allows you to build this tremendous momentum because those content assets are out there answering search queries and pulling people in, and I'm not doing anything on that content. That is a great insight. So the, the takeaway is basically content compounds over time. Totally, yeah. And and we've seen it with yeah. our customers, too. Like, the more they blog, the more traffic they get just by virtue of volume and of having more um, more tentacles out there, basically, more um, content to pull people in. Right. Uh, that's such a great example. I hope everybody's listening well because <laughs> you've such good insights, and we're so lucky that you're taking the time to do this. Oh, I appreciate um, it. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the concept of a promotion strategy for content yeah. across multiple channels. Why can't I just simply rely on my Facebook or just my Twitter account for everything? Yeah, I think there's um, – once you create a piece of content, if you just let it sit there and you didn't promote it at all, it would probably still get some traffic because it would get found by search engines and people would find their way in. But every new promotional channel that you add into it will increase the volume of traffic that um, that piece of content gets. And so, again, it makes your magnet more and more powerful. Uh, and we sort of live in a very, you know, the way people navigate the web is very different. There's um, you're going to find a different audience on Facebook than you are on Instagram, than you are in email, and so on and so forth. And so thinking about all of these channels that people are using and, and finding a way to repackage that content for those channels will help you to reach a broader and broader audience. So uh, we always think about content as sort of the 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 meat of the thing, but then there's some extra work that we do to make sure that that content gets seen. Got it. Makes a lot of sense here. Well, you've covered so much. I would love to talk to you about this all day. <laughs> <laughs> I realize you have a lot on your plate, though. Sure. Why don't we kind of wrap things up here and um, kind of get your your sort of your top three uh, best practices for a few different things. So um, what would you say are like the top three mistakes in general that people make when they're trying to attract visitors to their website? So I think one is being far too promotional right off the bat, uh, trying to go after people with sales or with, um, you know, highly, highly promotional content when they're just not ready to buy. I mean, you think about the way you you do some research before you actually make a purchase. Um, and so being too promotional right off the bat is definitely a mistake I see people make. Uh, I also see people get really impatient when it comes to growing their content 
um, portfolio. So they write a blog post and nothing happens and they're like, oh, content doesn't work um, and they give it up or they do it for a week and um, and they don't see the results. And the truth about content as a acquisition strategy is it's a long game. It's a very powerful, powerful strategy because of the compounding nature that we were talking about, but it does take some time to get ramped up. It takes some time for Google to crawl your content, for you to start to get ranked. And so, you know, I really sometimes see like six months is the of consistent content creation is what we um, suggest to our customers before they start to really see reliable growth. But then at that point, then it continues to be this, this self-propelling engine. Um, a third thing that I think people do when they make, when they are trying to get people into their site and make mistakes, uh, I think it's really like, the, sometimes people write a lot of junk content. Um, the internet is full of these like, top 10 lists and um, really sort of empty blog posts and ebooks and things like that. And it's, you know, you could probably get traffic that way because people will click through on a title alone, but I don't know that you can get sustainable traffic that way. I think quality is still highly important. And again, the nice thing about an arts organization is, is that you guys appreciate and understand quality. Um, and so putting your marketing content through the same filter and lens as you do the rest of the um, content you put out there is, is highly important. That's really great. So basically don't, because the first thing you said about um, too much promotional material up top, people love to be sold, but they hate to be sold too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, I, I totally hear what you're saying. Um, you need to really balance out the sort of welcoming aspect of whatever it is people are looking at for the first time in not making it feel like they're being sold right away. Um, and you mentioned quality and then just having the patience to take the time to put the content out there. That's mm -hmm. all great stuff. Okay. Um, I was curious then along those lines, everybody's on Facebook all day, everybody's on Twitter all day, but yep. a lot of people um, just aren't using it the best that they could. What are two or three like really important habits to keep in mind when posting content on either of those platforms? Yeah, um, well, know the platform. Know what does well and what doesn't. So, for example, on Facebook, we've really found that visual content does really well. Uh, so the, we'll try to put out just a link and some text, and it'll do okay. But if we put out, if we accompany that link with a really compelling visual, the click-through rates will go through the roof. Um, so, you know, I think... I would think about highly visual things for Facebook. Uh, for Twitter, you want to, um, you know, use things like hashtags sparingly but intentionally. Uh, no one wants 15 different hashtags on a Twitter post, uh, so make sure that um, you're using them to really categorize your content in the right light um, if you're using them at all. The other thing that we found work really well on Twitter are questions and making sure that you're engaging with your audience. Um, and images do also do well on Twitter. We found that images result in about a 55% increase um, in click-throughs um, when it comes to Twitter. Uh, so basically what I would recommend across the board is take a little bit of time to study these channels, both before you put content up there and while you're putting the content up there. If you have a month's worth of content on Instagram, for example, figure out which ones did best, which got the most engagement, and try to dissect what it was about those. Were they all behind the scenes pictures? Were they 
um, you know, did they were they accompanied with a question? Uh, try to understand that for your audience and for your channel. Awesome. Yeah, I love how in all the answers you've been giving, there's a qualitative and there's a quantitative aspect to everything. I don't think most people are aware, are aware of the importance of really measuring where they're at with everything. Yeah. Um, what are some basic things I could start doing to, for example, increase my website traffic and conversion rates or really whatever? I mean, how would you recommend I could start measuring things? And I'm going to yeah. just give the obvious plug of check out HubSpot <laughs> and how that can really help you do all that. But, you know, in a general sense, what are some things I could do? Yeah, I mean, I think it's you're heading into 2016. I would just take the year to really experiment with this stuff and afford yourself the time to build out a content strategy. Um, you don't need to – I mean, we publish multiple times a day. I have a whole – I have a whole staff that's just dedicated to creating content. They're, they're journalists on site. Um, but not every company and organization is going to be able to do that. And so what I would recommend is start small but consistent. A post a week, two posts a week. Uh, blogs I really like because of how good they are with search. But, um, you know, there's obviously a number of different things you could do. But let's just say for, for beginners, start with a blog um, and do a, a few posts a month that are really well done, um, that sort of speak to the the passion of the arts and of what you guys are doing um, and that are designed to pull people in and entertain them. Once you have that, that um, engine going of content, and you're starting to get traffic, then you want to think about how do you convert that traffic. So at the base of the blog post, how do you put in a relevant conversion point that relates to what was in the blog post and will uh, result in either an email sign up or some sort of a purchase? Um, those are the two main things. That that's your top of the funnel and bottom of the funnel that I would start with. Uh, and then as far as like social media goes, I would pick your channel slowly. If you're really starting from scratch, I'd pick one or two social channels to build up a very strong presence on and then um, expand out from there. You've got to always balance your time with the content that you're putting out there. So um, make sure that you're intentional and that you're measuring what works. Awesome. There you go, everybody. So your New Year's resolution for 2016 <laughs> is to take the time to really figure these platforms out and, and really make it work for you. Well, Megan, I just can't even begin to thank you enough for your time today. This is so generous of you to talk about everything and just really give us some insights into HubSpot and how people can think about their marketing efforts. Again, I just want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, no, I mean, I loved being on. It's an awesome podcast. And I'll, since you <laughs> plugged me earlier, I'll plug you now, which is it, this is this is a really good resource for for people in the arts. And I think if you like the podcast, you guys should go review it. Well, that's very kind of you. So thanks so much, everybody, for listening to Speaking of the Arts. Thanks again, Megan, for your time today, and um, and have a great day. All right. <laughs> thanks so much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.